You know, there is no such thing as normal when it comes to following Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ is not normal. Now, it may be a lot of things, and we can make a list of those things, but I'll just tell you, following Jesus Christ is not normal. It's not a normal thing to follow Jesus Christ. First off, I'll tell you, it is not logical. And I'm sorry, but we follow a Savior who died and who lives again. And you can say what you want to say, but that is, that is not a logical thing. It's not logical. Not only that, it, it is counter to the world to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, it is exactly opposite of the world that we exist in to follow Jesus Christ. You think about it, the world says be first. The world says do all of the things to be first. And yet Christ says the first shall be last. That is not normal. The world comes along and says you're going to have to exalt yourself. And you're going to have to promote yourself. Christ says, you know what, humble yourself. And it is then that you will be exalted. The world comes along and the message of this day is you are enough and the answer is inside of you. And if you could just reach the answer that's inside of you. You know what? Christ comes along and says you are not enough. You'll never be enough and you need a Savior. Following Christ is not a normal thing. Let me tell you the main reason. And that is because it is a super natural thing. It is not normal because it is not natural. Friends, it is a supernatural thing. To follow Jesus Christ, to live as a believer, it is a supernatural thing. Let me tell you, I believe that we are losing that sadly in the church today. Let me tell you, it is an astonishing thing. It is a marvelous thing. It is a powerful thing because it is a supernatural thing to follow Jesus Christ. Do you know Satan doesn't care if you go to church as long as that church is a club and there's no power in it? Satan doesn't even care if you sing there's power in the blood. He doesn't care if you sing that as long as there's no power in your life. Satan doesn't honestly care if you read the Bible. As long as you do not think that it's trustworthy, as long as you don't think that it's living and active, powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword, he doesn't care. Did you know there were some people, there are some people that did not come to this service today because they thought it'd be normal. And, they, and I don't know what their mindset is, but they woke up today and they said, you know what, it's okay, it's just going to be normal. And you know what, I may need to go dove hunting, I'll, I'll do it some other time, but it's just going to be normal. You know what, I've got stuff to do, I've got things to accomplish, it's okay to miss this, it's just going to be normal. Well, I want to tell you, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about it, be sure today, it is not going to be normal. God is going to speak today. God is going to work through his word today. God's people, just like we did, we're going to worship him today. He's going to inhabit our praises. He's going to hear our prayers. And God, help us if it is normal today. It is not normal to follow Jesus Christ. It is a supernatural thing to walk with Jesus. Today in our verses, we're going to see why following Christ is supernatural. Our sermon is entitled today, What Shall We Do? Part 2. I thought I would cover this in one week last week. 
I'm not going to make it. This is part two. Our verses are Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Now, this is the response to Peter's first sermon in the Christian church. He preaches that first sermon, and this is the response. These verses record the response. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 37, God's word says this. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. And, and we come and we just tell you we love you. Starting off, we just love you. We're so thankful. We're so thankful. Blessing on top of blessing. Kindness on top of kindness. Lord, you are truly good. You're gracious and you're loving. You're pure and you're holy. And we exalt you today. We lift up your name. Lord, we're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful for the hope that we have today alone in Jesus. And we praise the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that it would not be a normal thing, but it would be a supernatural thing. And I know that it is. Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak, that you would speak today. That it would be your truth, pinpoint your word, your truth. And then I pray that we would have a response. Lord, that we would respond to the truth preached that we might be taught, that we might learn, that we might be convicted, that we would be shaped, but Lord, in all of it, that we would be changed. Lord, I pray for some in this room, some in this very room that do not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ today, that today the greatest victory, that they might put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we worship you, and I pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. This is our second week looking at these verses. Uh, we've got at least one more week on these verses. We may have two more. I thought I would do it in one week. Uh, it's going to take three or four weeks. Uh, I was looking at that. You know what? Eight years in Luke may be a short thing by the time we get done with this. But if you remember from last week, the, the tremendous thing as we go through the book of Acts, and it's a pretty awesome thing, is that as we are seeing the history of the formation of the church unfold. And that's really what we're doing. We're seeing the, the history of the church as it unfolds. As we're seeing that, we're coming across some very huge truths that we embrace as New Testament followers of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons these verses are going to take three or four weeks. As we see the history of the church, we're seeing, and really we're having to wrestle with some huge truths 
about our faith. And that's, that's an awesome thing. That's a good thing. We're going to have to, to settle some things about these huge truths as we move through the history of the church. Remember the context. Peter has just finished preaching the first sermon ever preached to the Christian church. Remember in that sermon, we broke it down last week, but remember he preached the word of God. He quotes Joel and he quotes two different psalms that were, that were spoken by King David. And so he preached the word of God. Remember he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial death of Jesus, the death of for sin, And it's, it's got to be understood, it's not just his death, but it's his sacrificial death. His death for sin, his burial, and his actual, literal, physical resurrection. He preached the gospel in, of Jesus Christ. Then if you remember in the sermon, he has confronted them with their sin. Specifically, he told them they rejected the Messiah. They had, for all of these years, for all of these generations, through the, through the prophets, through the word of God, they had been looking for the Messiah. Well, the Messiah had come, and they had rejected the Messiah, and they had actually killed the Messiah. And so in his sermon, he confronts them with their sin. Now, let, let me be sure and say this, and be sure and get this. The gospel is good news in response to our sin. Now, that, that's something we need to understand. It's not just good news for any good news. The gospel is good news in response to our sin. The good news of the gospel is, is that there is a remedy for sin. That's the good news of the gospel. And so, and so to appreciate the gospel, to, to love the gospel, in fact, really to ever have a chance at receiving the gospel, you have to see your sin. So be very sure today, any church or any preacher who will not preach on sin doesn't get the good news of the gospel. And I was thinking, well, they might do this and that's a pretty good thing they're doing. Listen, any preacher, any church that will not preach on sin does not understand the good news of a remedy for sin that we have in Jesus Christ. They have missed the good news of the gospel. There's this one guy and he says it, so I'll just quote him. He says, you know what? Someone asked him, why do you never preach on sin? Why don't you ever preach on the, the, the truth of sin? And, and he said, he was smiling, and he said, well, you know what, that's not our thing. And God has given us a, a positive message, and we're going to stay in our lane. This is what he said. We're going to stay in our lane, and we want to focus on the positive things. And I, I sat there and heard that, and I thought, what could be more positive than you'll not go to hell? Really, what could be more positive? We're going to focus on the positive things. Listen, we have a Savior for sin. We have a remedy for sin. There's nothing more positive than that. If you won't confront sin, the good news of the gospel is diminished. So he preached the word of God. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He confronted them of their sin. And then in verse 36, he preached Jesus as Lord and Christ. He, he preached Jesus as Lord and Christ. Be sure to know this. It is all about Jesus. 
If we haven't figured that out, we're going we're gonna to hammer that all the way through the book of Acts. It is all about Jesus. If you're in Genesis, if you're quoting Joel, if you're going through the Psalms, if we're going through the Acts, it is all about Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. It's all about Jesus. And that's his sermon. He preached the word of God. He preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He preached the truth of their sin, and he preached Jesus as the Lord and as the Christ. And that is his sermon. And then our verses are the response. And so again, our verses are the response to that message. Now here's something to remember that I think if we're not careful, we might forget. Here's something to remember. The church is different from everywhere else because the church preaches for a response. The church preaches for a response. That's why we exist. That's why we preach. That is why we, we put these hours in. We're preaching for a response. Listen, you can go to a lecture. You can go to college. You can go to a seminar somewhere and you can get a bunch of information and you can sit there and you can fill up books of notes and you can take in all that information and there never be a response and that's great. That is okay. But the goal of Christian preaching is that there would always be a response. That's why it's not a normal thing. That's why it's a supernatural thing. That's why it has to be supernaturally empowered. The goal of Christian preaching is that there would be a response. Well, in our verses today, we have the response. Let me walk us very quickly through, through the response. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they heard that message. They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. The Greek word, we saw it last week, it literally means, literally translates stabbed or it's a word that's used for to strike and, and it's used in a couple places out, outside of the Bible in this era to, to talk about the kick of a horse. And so hearing this message, it feels like a, a horse has kicked them in the chest, a, a knife is, has, has pierced them in the chest, and they're, and they're struck in their hearts. And they say, what shall we do? And then the verse we looked at last week, the verse we'll look at today, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38, repent, it means to turn, turn from your sin, leave your sin, turn from your sin, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. Now, we spent all of last week on that huge truth that we saw in this verse. The word "ice," E-I-S, the word for, for the forgiveness of sin, also is translated because. And so I believe it's saying because you're baptized because of the forgiveness of sin. And then we actually took the time last week and we looked at a whole bunch of verses. You see, we are instructed by the full counsel of God's word and we saw that the truth of the scripture, the truth of the gospel is 
We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is the truth of Scripture. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, not of any work, not of anything that we do, lest any man should boast. Last week we saw baptism does not save you. Baptism does not save you. And if you say that it does, you have changed the gospel. If you say that it does, you have left the truth. And if you say that it does, you are not proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, baptism does not save you. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Settled, fact, the truth. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, I do want to say this. I didn't have time to get there last week, but I do want to say this. That doesn't mean baptism's not a big deal. Well, you might say, well, I'm not saved, but I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't want you to take that out of here. It doesn't mean baptism's not a big deal. You see, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the cross, gives us the command to follow him in baptism. It is not part of our salvation, but it testifies to our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a command of Jesus Christ. It is a big deal that we are baptized in obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see how radical it was for these 3,000 people to be baptized. Now, I read across that verse, and 3,000 were baptized, added to the church, 3,000 souls. That's a pretty awesome thing. I don't want you to miss how big it is that they are baptized. I want you to see this. Remember, they are not that far in time from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You realize that? Not, not a couple months have passed. Not, not but just days. You can count the days past the resurrection, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And they, they were right there. It wasn't that far since they nailed Jesus to the cross, since they beat him across his back, since his blood ran down. And I'm going to tell you, a bunch of these 3,000 most likely had seen that. They weren't that far removed from the Christ, They're st- from the crucifixion. They're still in the same town, the same city where it happened. And now they are publicly declaring, they are publicly mar- mar- marking themselves, you know, but I am not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And they're declaring, we are with Jesus. Wow. In the same town, the same city where they killed Jesus, they say, mark us as followers of Jesus. That's commitment. Baptism's a big deal. Baptism is to testify to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Then the last part of Verse 38 says, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Understand today, the church is not normal because the church is not natural because it is supernatural. And this is why. This is what we're going to see today in our verses. The reason the church is not normal because it's not natural, because it is supernatural, is because, listen very carefully, believers have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Believers have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so following Christ is a supernatural thing. 
Let me just go ahead and be honest, and let's just clear the air. This subject, the subject of the Holy Spirit, has as much false teaching attached to it as maybe any subject inside the, the Christian church today. And I, I'll tell you that's the truth. This subject, the subject of the Holy Spirit, has as much, I believe, false teaching attached to it as does any, any subject inside the Christian church today. And it is damaging the church today. It is destroying some of the work of the church today. It is hindering entire churches today. This subject has as much false teaching attached to it as I believe any subject in the Christian church. Let me just go ahead and say this. This subject, the subject of the Holy Spirit, may be as controversial as any subject in the Christian church today. Some of you are already grimacing in your seat right now. This subject, the subject of the Holy Spirit, may be as controversial as any subject in the Christian church today. And yet I want you to hear this. This subject... The subject of the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital for the functioning of the Christian church today. We need to know the truth. It is vital. It is vital. As we move through Acts, we're going to study and we're going to see more about the Holy Spirit. We're going to see what the Holy Spirit does we're going to see that he leads, that he convicts, that he reminds us of the truth. We're going to see that, that he empowers, that he gives us boldness, that he emboldens us. But today as we pass through this verse, today I want us to see and I want us to settle two big dog truths about the Holy Spirit today. And I want us to walk out of here today and I want us to settle and I want us to have thought about it and I want us to see what God's word has said these two necessary foundational truths about the Holy Spirit of God today. The first thing we're going to settle today is this. What do we receive when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? What is that saying? That's what the verse says. What is that talking about? What is that saying? What do we receive when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Second thing I want to settle today, looking at God's Word, is this issue. When do we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? When does this happen? It says we're going to receive the gift. When do we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Now the verse, verse 38 says, And you will... Receive. I want to look at these words. And you will receive. In the Greek, the literal translation is get. Now I read that and I thought that must be somebody from Route 2, Vernon, Texas, that interpreted that. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. That's deep Greek right there. <laughs> You're going to get it. You're going to get him. The, the word gift this is very interesting. You will receive the gift. You will get the gift. The word means something given without merit. You didn't earn it. Something given without repayment. It is a gift. Now, it's interesting when you find the word in context, this word, attached to this word, is the, the, the truth that the nature of the gift that it is not repaid, that it is without merit, that it's unearned. 
reflects not upon the receiver of the gift, but it reflects on the giver of the gift. Now, that's a pretty tremendous thing. The fact that the gift is given and it is not earned and it has not been merited reflects not on the person that gets it. It reflects on the person that gives it. And here's what it says of the gift giver. They're gracious. They give the gift expecting nothing in return. They give the gift not because you earned it. They give the gift because they are gracious. Doesn't that fit? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So first, what do you receive when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? It says you're going to receive this gift What is this gift? Now, I want you to listen very carefully here. What is the gift? What do you receive when you receive the Holy Spirit? Listen very carefully. You receive the third member of the Trinity. You receive the very Spirit of God himself. Now, that is big That is not normal. That is really hard, maybe too impossible for us to understand. But you receive the Spirit of God Himself. God gives Himself and He resides inside of you. You receive God Himself inside of you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know? that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Listen, God lives in you. God lives in you. How can we ever be normal? How can that ever be normal? Maybe nobody's ever told that to us. Maybe no one's ever explained the depths of what that means. But I want to tell you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God lives inside of you. That's the gift we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know, maybe we have a faulty understanding of that. Maybe we have a diminished view of that. But we might sit around and say, well, is that a big deal? God lives inside of me. Is that a big deal? I want you to listen to this verse, Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen to me. This is no small deal. This is no Mickey Mouse deal. The power of the living God who walked Jesus, who was actually physically dead, who walked him out of the grave alive again, he lives inside of you. How awesome is that? That is the fact. The God that walked Jesus out of the grave in great power lives in you. Our lives as Christ followers can't be normal. Can they? Our lives can't can't be normal. The world comes along and says, fit in. Fit in, sink in, compromise. Be normal, just my lands, just be normal. And the Spirit of God says, you know what? I'm the one that made Jesus alive again. What couldn't I do in you? Listen, there's no such thing as normal anymore. God lives inside of us. And that is the gift. 
That's the gift. God himself lives inside of us. The gift is not a what, it's a he. He is the spirit of God. He is the Holy Spirit. And so that's the first thing we better settle. What is the gift? The gift is God himself indwells us. We are a temple of the living God. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. It ties right along with it. So when do you receive the Holy Spirit? Does this really matter? When do you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, we got the first thing settled, so let's look at this second thing. Listen very carefully. We receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the instant that we are saved. I, I want you to hear that again. That's a very profound truth. And that's something we need to settle and that's something we need to understand. We receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the instant that we are saved. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, listen, we are saved, we are forgiven of our sin, we're restored in our relationship, we have eternal life, and the surety of it all is we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Wow, what a blessing that is. Ephesians 1.13 says this. Listen very carefully. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I want you to listen to that again. Ephesians 1.13, you ought to memorize that. In him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after hearing the gospel, having also believed, you were sealed in him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. It means when you heard the gospel, and you receive that gospel by faith, you believed it, when you are saved, you are sealed in Jesus with the Holy Spirit of promise. Listen, you received the Holy Spirit when you got saved. Brother and sister, when you believed in Jesus Christ, you were filled with the totality, the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. The book of Galatians says the same thing, two different places. When you believed, you were filled. When you believed, you were filled. There is an errant teaching today that says when you're saved, you are sealed. But it's in a later event that you're filled. And that's a popular teaching. In fact, it's growing in popularity. It, it bleeds into a lot, of, a lot of teachings that you hear now. And it says you are sealed, yes, because we can't deny the verse, but it is in a later event 
that you're filled. And so they spend a whole lot of time seeking the other event. And they'll say the, the filling of the, the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and they want more of the Holy Spirit, or they want for the first time the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so they're seeking this filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me just tell you why that's not possible. Now understand this. The Holy Spirit is a He. He is God. He is an individual. Each, each member of the Trinity, they are an individual. The Holy Spirit is an individual, just like Jesus is an individual. How did you receive Jesus? Well, I got a third of him in seventh grade. And then I had a really good experience one time in college, got the other third. And you know what? I prayed upside down, standing on my feet, and got the last third. I got Jesus in installments. It's not how you receive Jesus. He's an individual, and you received Jesus. You received Jesus. Listen to me. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit of God. When you receive him, you receive all of him, and it would be absurd to receive him in installments. In fact, it is not possible. You receive the fullness. You receive the wholeness. You receive the totality of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, when you were saved. You received all of the Holy Spirit of God. At least that's what God says. All right, here's the big question. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Who cares? Why, why does it matter? Isn't it just another interpretation? Isn't it just a disagreement of interpretations? We, we, we hear that all the time. I get that all the time. Why does, it, why does it matter? Why can't we just agree on these other things? Why does it matter? Does it really even matter? Why worry about it? Why preach this sermon? Well, I want you to hear this and I want you to hear it very well. There's three reasons that it matters. Three reasons that it's not insignificant. And there's three reasons that God in his grace and in his truth wants you to know. And so I'm going to tell you three reasons that it matters. First reason it matters is this. It's not the truth. It's not the truth it's not the testimony of Scripture. It's not what the Bible says. And I want, I want you to know where there is an absence of the truth, and I don't care what it is, if it's the truth about how you're supposed to be married or the truth of, of how you're supposed to live or the truth of what salvation is, where there is an absence of truth, danger always creeps in. Where, where there's the absence of the truth, trouble always creeps in. And let me just tell you this, where there is an absence of the truth, Satan always gets a hold. That's why we preach the truth. That's why we turn to the truth. That's why we uphold the truth. Where there is an absence of the truth, and I don't care how big of an absence there is, Satan always gets a hold. Friend, you cannot live as a believer of Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't, I don't care who you are. And I don't care how much you know the Bible. I don't care how great your willpower is. 
You cannot live as a follower of Jesus Christ on your own. It is a supernatural enablement. It is a supernatural thing. You cannot live as a believer in Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit of God. And the good news is you don't have to. The reason it matters is it's not the truth. It's not what the Bible says. Second thing, and I want you to hear this and listen very carefully to this one. Second reason it matters, it represents an incomplete salvation. Wow, we just upped it a notch. But it, it represents an incomplete salvation. It means that the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ were not enough. It means that the salvation that was bought for you in the blood of the cross, that it is not enough. And it means that you need something further, that you need something else, that Christ died and he died on the cross, but it wasn't enough and there's something left to do. It means that you have to go and you have to solicit something else. Listen to me, friend, today. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Christ saves to the utmost. Friends, he doesn't save to the almost. And you be very sure today in your salvation, there is nothing else you need to do in your salvation there is nothing left undone and in your salvation it is finished in Jesus Christ people go around and they spend their time saying oh if I just had another feeling of the Holy Spirit oh if I just had more of the Holy Spirit my life would get better and I'd do better and I wouldn't be beat down by this sin and oh if I could just get more of the Holy Spirit I wouldn't have these chains and I wouldn't have this addiction I want you to hear me today what you need for a Christian living was given to you in the cross of Calvary it is finished in Jesus Christ alone it is an incomplete view of salvation. What a trick of Satan to say there's something else you need. What a sorry trick. Oh, I'm so thankful for my forgiveness. I'm so thankful for my eternal life. But boy, I need something else to live victoriously with power in this life. What a terrible trick of Satan to, to tell us our salvation is incomplete. And then here's the third thing. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? Well, I want you to listen to this third thing. It's terrible. The third reason it matters is because of this. It steals the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, which I want to tell you may be the most despicable thing there is about all, anything. Jesus humbles himself, takes the form of a man, but not just a man, a bondservant. He humbles himself to the point of death, but not just death, death on a cross. He comes into his own, and his own receive him not. And they spit on him. His brothers say he's crazy. His countrymen take him, and they turn him over, and they pull the beard out of his face, and they, they beat him across the back. They take him, they march him up a hill and they, they make him carry his own cross beam up that hill and there they drive nails through his hands and nails through his legs. And they nail him to the cross and he has to suck for air. He has to suck for every breath. Oh, he can't breathe until he finally gives out that last breath and he dies on the cross. 
And the power of God, three days later, he walks out of that grave and he stands as the risen, resurrected Savior and he stands in glory and power. And I want to tell you, anything that would diminish his glory is despicable. He earned it. He's worthy of it. It steals the glory of our Savior, Jesus. Now, I want you to watch this. Under this teaching, you watch, the focus is on the Holy Spirit and the focus is on you. And I don't care, I don't, you watch it, you watch it and you listen, you watch it every time. Every time the focus is on the Holy Spirit and the focus is on you. It's about you. You don't have it. And you sure need it. And you need to do something to get it. And what did you do to lose it? And you just got it? No, you just lost it. And the focus is all on you. And the focus is all on the Holy Spirit. Oh, Spirit, if you would just move here. Oh, Spirit, if you would just fill us today. Oh, Spirit, if you would just fill me again. Oh, Spirit, oh, Spirit, oh, Spirit. Listen to me today. We love the Holy Spirit of God, but that is exactly backwards. We do not point to and we do not exalt the Holy Spirit of God, but rather the Holy Spirit of God points to and exalts the name of Jesus. Brother, you want to know where the Holy Spirit is working? You want to know where the Holy Spirit is moving? It is where Jesus is preached. It is where Jesus is known. It is where Jesus is exalted. It is where Jesus is king. It is where Jesus is Lord. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He starts a movement exalting Jesus. That's how you know he's working. Why does it matter? Because somebody might get caught up in themselves and somebody might get caught up in the Holy Spirit and miss Jesus. Listen to me, friend. Your hope is not in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your hope is in Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never put your hope in Jesus, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, I want to tell you, He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Our hope is in Jesus. It's not in you. It's not in something you have to solicit, not in something you have to do. Your hope is in the finished work of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus for your salvation. Maybe you're here today and you've never said, you know what, I'm a sinner. I see my sin. I'm sick of it. I'm sorry for it, Lord. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Save me. Hope is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. Lord God, I'm thankful that you didn't leave us as orphans. She gave us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Thankful for life that would grind us up. We couldn't do it in our own power that you empowered it through the Holy Spirit. Lord God, I praise you for the filling of the Holy Spirit for the marking of the Holy Spirit, for the, for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, for the guidance and the conviction, the reminder of truth that happens to the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm thankful that all of that points to Jesus, my hope, my Savior, my trust. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit that points to Jesus. Lord, I pray for us in this room 
I pray if we've had incorrect teaching that we did not leave here bitter and upset that we would consider what you have said in your word. I pray if we've made ourselves to focus or anything or anybody else to focus, that we would turn and we put our eyes back upon the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's one in this room that doesn't know you, I pray that today in the hearing of this good news, there is hope in Jesus. Lord, I pray that somebody's saved today in this hour. Move in our midst, stir in their hearts. We trust it to you for the glory of our Savior Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.